Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Alyssa Mastermonico, Senator Tammy Baldwin, Kieran Deal, and Michaela Watkins join to tackle the following questions. How do you stay positive in a state that's becoming known for nasty politics? What responsibility do bystanders have to stand up to bad behavior at work? And why do hetero women keep swiping right on men with cats? All this and more right now. Thanks for joining. We've got a lot of show to get to this week. But first, as always, I'm going to chat with my friend, the future CEO of a fruit jam empire and former White House Deputy Chief of Staff under President Obama, Alyssa Mastermonico. Hello. Hi, Alyssa. Well, hello, Erin. It's so good to see you. It's so good to talk to you. You too. You're just like sunshine on a cloudy day. Oh, thank you so much. Likewise. I went on a trip last week. I went to Sedona and I hiked. I just like played. I was basically just outdoors and until it was too hot. And then I went inside and then I went outside again. But I was reading this week that um, when Europe reopens travel, international travel, the United States might not be a place that people can travel from in order to visit the EU. Can you blame I know them? That, I mean... We're not really doing this pandemic very well. No. We're doing a no. bad job. It's not our finest we're moment. Doing a doing a bad job with the pandemic. Um, we're doing such a bad job that nobody's even going to Trump rallies because they're like, <laughs> nah, <laughs> not doing that. Um, I think, you know, I was thinking about it. You know, I know that the borders with Canada are still closed to American citizens for the most part. Mexico, there's still travel restrictions in place. Um, and as we're getting into what usually is summer travel season, it's made me think about how people are going to go blow off steam. And hmm. I was thinking the other day that I think that really the safe vacation now is like one of those retro kid style vacations where you get in the car and you drive somewhere where you can be outdoors. You mean like be a Griswold and go to Wally World, except not Wally World, maybe like Mount Rushmore. Yeah, except Mount Rushmore sucks. Yeah, I, it's a good point. <laughs> Terrible example. Terrible example. Let's go to Yellowstone because I love Old Faithful. I really want to go spend some time playing around in Utah, the outdoor space yes. in Utah, because it looks really, really beautiful. Also, when we did a Pod Save America show in Salt Lake City, the people were phenomenal. So I want to get back to Utah. Um, I like Wyoming. I think Wyoming is cool. There's a place called Devil's Tower that's Whoa. really awesome in Wyoming. Yeah. I, the real devil wasn't there, which is a little bit of a disappointment, but his tower was. <laughs> um, have you gone on any memorable like national parks vacations? Yes. Let's see. So uh, back when we were in the White House, the president and first lady liked to go to at least one national park every summer. And I got to go. 
One of my favorites was Yellowstone, where I went with Love It, and he was dressed like the park ranger. <laughs> Non-ironically. Um, oh, no. But it was so, it was so, it's like, you know, you see this stuff on TV, and no matter what you think, it does not compare to seeing it in real life. Um, we went whitewater rafting in Montana, which I had never done before, Um And uh, we did that with the first family and Sasha and Malia, who are taller than I am, told me that the shortest person sits in the front of the raft, which is actually just the person who gets soaked the most. You don't have to be the smallest. So I got punked. (laughs) Sounds incredible. Yes, it's awesome. Um, I think that, you know, we're kind of, it sounds like a light conversation, but I think something that's really been helpful for me coping during COVID has been finding things to look forward to or be excited Mm -hmm. about. And I think that given the fact that, you know, living in, in a city, my options to do stuff are pretty limited or Mm -hmm. very different than they were before and traveling and being outdoors and camping can be mostly the same, albeit with social distancing and more hand-washing and mask wearing if you're close to people. Yeah. And there's something that's so comforting about that, like imagining a time when you can, you know, just feel normal. I feel like maybe getting in, getting in the car and driving to the nearest national park, if anybody, you know, if you have the ability to do that might be a nice way to kind of clear your head a little bit during these COVID times for sure. I agree. Make use of the time. Make use of the time. We're all like, we're, I mean, all, everybody except people who work in healthcare and parents are underemployed right now. So, you know, in every way, (laughs) in Every way. So it's good to get out. Um, I want to talk really quickly, though, before we get on the phone with Wisconsin's better senator. Let's just let's just say it like she's much better than the other the, one. The the best senator? She's one of the best. She's one of the top senators, I think, in the country. One in of America's country. top. One of America's top senators, for sure. Um, this... this- <laughs> I was just um, laughing because that is how Bridget Jones introduced someone in that movie. Remember, he was the top barrister. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I had to. <laughs> I haven't watched that movie in a long time. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Supreme Court um, because I kind of always want to talk a little bit about the Supreme Court, but also because it's been a really, it's been a real roller coaster ride for the last like you know year or so. Everybody went in thinking that that liberals would get just pummeled and that America's social progress would get set back 50 years. Right. And in some ways, you know, not everything has been a win for sure. I don't want to pretend that everything has been a win, but there have been some surprising wins. Like last week on the day the show came out, (laughs) the Supreme Court ruled that the Trump's attempt to extinguish DACA was unconstitutional. He didn't do it the right way. So DACA lives. Um, We had Neil Gorsuch coming through and saying that the Civil Rights Act, Title VII, covers the rights of LGBTQ Americans when it comes to employment. Yep. But we still have one that's kind of hanging over us like the sword of Damocles. Uh, and that is a, that's an abortion case out of Louisiana. Um, Alyssa, what do you think is going to happen with the case? It's It might come down tomorrow. It might come down next week because the Supreme Court loves to wait and save the big cases for the end. What do you think is going to happen? Aaron, I'd be lying if I said I knew, if I even had an inkling. Did I think that Neil Gorsuch was going to sort of come through 
or that John Roberts, I mean, like, we don't know, like, I guess my problem is I don't have the brain of a Supreme Court justice and I could never be one, which is why I didn't go to law school. Cause what's the point if you can't ultimately be a Supreme Court justice one day, but it's like, <laughs> I worry, I worry that like, they've done these two things sort of, I think by following the letter of the law as they, they believe it should be interpreted. And, and I'm like, are they going to like now be like, well, and by them, I mean the Republic. Like we know how old Brett's going to go. Brett's going to mm-hmm. just, he doesn't even need to show up for the for the hearing. I mean, he can just put that shit on mute and play Brick Breaker. But mm-hmm. the others, you're like, are they just, are they going to be like, wow, if we, if we, are, are we really going to piss Trump off? Like, is he going to fire us as a Supreme Court justice if we don't, uh, if we don't give, do him a solid here and set women's rights back uh, 30 years? So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I try not to get excited because, you know, on we one hand, there's no, there's no way to get excited, but like, there's also being in a state of having my loins just constantly girded, girded. is a little exhausting. I really want to, I really want to live in a world where John Roberts can be the deciding vote and in and write an opinion where he admonishes the Fifth Circuit Court for even trying to step to him right. by deliberate, like directly confronting a Supreme Court ruling from 2016. Right. Um, but in 2016, Roberts was on the side of keeping the trap law in question in place. I, I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm I'm just I, I, at this point, I just kind of want to get it over with. I just want to know. I just want I them to tell us. It's a suspense we don't need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just want to read Sonia Sotomayor's either concurring opinion mm. or fiery dissent. She has been really writing some interesting stuff <laughs> this term. And I, I just really want to know, you know, we have, uh, we've affirmed that LGBTQ people are people. Correct. Which Woo! amazing. Yes. DACA recipients, also people. I'm really excited to learn if women are also people. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> I know. Let's not get crazy. Um, let's give a call to our one of our favorite people and women and senators. She's the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, my home state. And America's Dairyland. America's Dairyland, Forward, etc. We're going to give a call to Tammy Baldwin. Hi, Senator Baldwin. Hello. Hello. It's so good to see you. Good to see you. Well, let's get started. I don't want to take too much yes. time. Oh my gosh. I love your, I love your background. Room Raider would give you a high rating for your Zoom. You get a very high mark. But we're all audio only. <laughs> it's true. But we'll take a screen grab so people can see it at some point. Oh, don't worry. Do. I, I want to get my rankings <laughs> up. So, <laughs> I mean, I feel like you, you took the time to hang these pictures up and put that beautiful, is that an orchid in the background? It is. Yeah, you put everything, you took the time to do that. We should appreciate it. We will appreciate it. <laughs> Senator, happy Pride Month. Um, we, happy Pride Month to you too. We got some good news from the Supreme Court on its ruling about LGBTQ and employment discrimination, but the fight isn't over. What is next in the fight to entrench equality for LGBTQ people in the law? Yeah, so we have to pass the Equality Act. But before I jump into that, 
I just want to celebrate that moment on June 15th when the Supreme Court announced this decision that Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act um, includes protection against discrimination against uh, people on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. And it is so crucial because in so many jurisdictions across the country, there were not protections. And you could be fired or uh, refused an interview or demoted. All sorts of things could happen uh, with no legal recourse uh, based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, even in those states uh, that did have some legal protections, oftentimes it was inclusive of sexual orientation and not gender identity, such as in the state of Wisconsin that has long had a civil rights law but only applies to uh, uh, sexual orientation. So we've had a, a patchwork quilt. And despite this joyous decision, we still have a patchwork quilt. What do I mean? Um, this decision was about employment. But people still lose housing um, because of their sexual orientation, gender identity, or aren't afforded the opportunity, you know, oh, we just rented that apartment. Well, they didn't, right? <laughs> um, people are uh, discriminated in public accommodations, in education. So we've got to pass the Equality Act to basically expand what we just heard from the U.S. Supreme Court uh, to all of these other uh, very important uh, things uh, that we experience in life so that we rid, uh, at least give people a, a legal recourse if they're discriminated against. So I want to pivot a little bit to our mutual home state of Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin um, has been in and out of the national news for the last couple of years, a lot of times for having some kind of nasty politics, um, which as a Wisconsinite, I know that's not you know, the way the whole state is, but that's kind of why we're in the news. Um, why should people who live in the state pay attention to what has happened in Wisconsin and what is happening in Wisconsin? And second part of this question, despite all this, you always seem to have such a sunny outlook. So how do you stay upbeat and hopeful in a state that's kind of becoming known for having nasty politics? Yeah, well, that's a big question. Um, so I want to just reflect on you know, our, our past as a state, uh, uh, back when I was in local government and in the state legislature, um, certainly there was partisanship, but it wasn't uh, at the acute level that it is right now. And um, people work together across the aisle. <clears throat> I'm not suggesting that they don't ever work across the aisle, uh, but right now we've seen such toxic uh, uh, things come out of our state legislature, uh, a lot of uh, voter suppression legislation. And I have to say the uh, gerrymandering that went on uh, at the turn of the last decade has um, really skewed uh, our representation in our state. And so we have in the last couple of elections, um, a, a clear majority of voters voting for Democratic legislators, but a legislature that's like a third Democratic and two thirds Republican. Um, so it's it's really um, uh, become a, a situation where it's no longer reflective of the people. Uh, and what I worry so much about is how uh, much those politics have harmed Wisconsinites harmed them in terms of access to the constitutional right to vote, 
uh, but also harm them in terms of, you know, the failure to expand Medicaid uh, so that more people can access uh, quality, affordable health care in our state. And that we had those, if we had have had those resources to help fight this pandemic, um, we would have been much better off. Um, I think about all of the attacks on organized labor and workers in our state. And I think about um, the um, failure to step up uh, to the moment on helping those who are in agriculture and are working so hard, some of the hardest workers uh, around, and yet not able to make ends meet. So these are the consequences of gridlock and, and, and Republican uh, uh, maneuvers to, uh, you know, to win uh, a partisan battle rather than thinking about the people they represent and trying to uh, advance things on their behalf. Okay, so how do I, I cope with all of that? I guess that's <laughs> what you're asking. Um, no, I think that uh, uh, the day uh, that I give up hope, um, uh, you know, I shouldn't be doing this job anymore. And I will tell you, there's days of huge frustration, sometimes anger, um, although I try to show it in a Wisconsin way. <laughs> uh, but I, I always have hope that we the people um, can fix things. Um, sometimes I see uh, those uh, repairs happening really rapidly. Other times I see it taking years, if not decades. But think of how patient the suffragettes were uh, well over 100 years, say 150 years ago. Getting the right to vote was still 50 years off, but they worked and they worked and they worked. Think of the patience of um, the patients yet frustration and anger of those fighting to pass the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voting Rights Act that followed. Um, there was a lot of struggle. There was a lot of grief. Uh, there was a lot of anger. Um, it never happens quickly enough. But, uh, you know, we, we do make progress. And I remain um, hopeful uh, that we will do so by continuing at it, sometimes as hard as it might be. Speaking of progress, um, our pal Joe Biden has said that he is going to pick a female running mate. Um, yeah. he's So he's looking. Are you interested? Is this something for you? Well, I'll tell you, I'll do anything I can to make sure that uh, Joe Biden becomes the next president of the United States. Um, one of the things that I focus so much on is um, talking to him and the campaign about how you win Wisconsin, because after Trump narrowly won in 16, but we kind of turned things around mm -hmm. quite a bit in 2018, um, I feel like there's some lessons learned that I want to share. Um, but whatever I can do to help uh, he him be successful and become our next president, get rid of Donald Trump as president, uh, I do. And if that meant uh, he wanted me to uh, tap me as his vice president, I would certainly say yes. Well, I have to say, I am not from Wisconsin, but I did go to Madison in the 90s. And so I would very much like to see a little Wisconsin on the ticket. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Nothing would make my family happier, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, OK, so finally, 
I'm sure you've heard about it, that Crooked launched its Adopt-A-State program. Um, so no matter where you live, like if you're in a blue state like California, like me, or New York, like Alyssa, you can help out in a state that is a little bit more battlegroundy. So I've chosen Wisconsin, obviously. I've adopted my home. Alyssa has chosen Michigan. Can you give our listeners a pitch about why Wisconsin is the state that they should adopt? Yes, absolutely. So we all know that the road to the White House runs right through Wisconsin. And, you know, the electoral math is unlikely to work out in our favor if Wisconsin is not, uh, uh, you know, showing, uh, uh, you know, electing Joe Biden in our presidential election in November. Wisconsin is key to this. So we really need to have uh, your uh, podcast fans uh, join um, you, Aaron, and uh, Tommy Vitor to adopt Wisconsin. Uh, and I don't know if we have a friendly competition going on between Wisconsin and <laughs> Michigan, <laughs> whatever, um, but uh, we have to make sure that Wisconsin goes blue. Also, you know what? Cheese curds. I feel like that's an easy sell. We have cheese curds and incredible beer and incredible food. Plus like Friday night fish fries eventually, hopefully will come back at some point. Supper clubs. Supper yeah, clubs. Supper clubs. They're not all open right now, but you know, someday we can celebrate after the fact, the hard work that went into winning. <laughs> we'll go to a Tammy Baldwin supper club after we win. Hysteria listeners, <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> Senator Baldwin, thank you so much for joining thank us you. today. And um, good luck with all the votes you have to make today. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. And that was Senator Tammy Baldwin speaking with Alyssa Mastromonaco. And I and I want to encourage you again, if you are still in the market to adopt a state, to adopt Wisconsin, because then Tammy Baldwin can be your adopted senator. And I got to say, it's pretty cool. We have to take a break. But before we get to that, Dan Pfeiffer and one Ms. Alyssa Mastromonaco are launching a series about the vice presidential selection process called That's the Ticket. Alyssa, how excited are you about this show? Aaron, it is going to be a very good and informative time for everybody. And people should really tune in if they want to hear some of my favorite stories about uh, shuttling people who've been potential VPs in and out of like very secretive places. Do you ever use like crazy hats and disguises or is it mostly just shoving people into limos? There have been some disguises, I'm not going to lie. And we talk about it in the first episode. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait. Um, it's coming out on Friday, Friday, mm -hmm. June 26th, which is also my mom's birthday. So happy <gasps> birthday to my mom. New episode of That's the Ticket, the show about the VP selection process. And you get to hear more. Alyssa, win, win. Win. Win, win, win. All right, have to take a break. But when we come back, personal political. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. 
Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, <laughs> not not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And welcome back. Alyssa Mastermonico is still with me, but I want to bring in the other two women who are joining our discussion today. First up, she's an actor and a comedian and an avid starer at Walls. It's Kieran Deal. That's me. That's me. You know me from my work staring at Walls. Very good. Very good. <laughs> it's good to see you. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you doing? You know, so, I mean, I, I just got back from a very like enriching outdoor trip. So I'm feeling like pretty good. Yeah. I saw those pictures. It looked very, it looked very idyllic. I was like, this bitch isn't coming back. (laughs) (laughs) I, but yeah, I, I just, I think Arizona is not a place I would want to live until the politics match the people. I think that there's some really good people in Arizona and some pretty bad politics. So I would love to see the good more reflected in the way the state is run. And that is my political answer. Um, (laughs) And last but not least, you can catch her on the third season of Search Party, which drops today on HBO Max. Oh my God. I love that show. I can't wait. It's Michaela Watkins. Hiya. Um, how's it going? (laughs) I also saw your picture. I saw your pictures, Aaron, and I was really, I was just really like, Bully for you. You know what I mean? Good for you. Getting out there. Guys, I bought a crystal to help unclog one of my chakras. So that's how I'm. That feels very un Aaron, if I may say so. 
As the resident, it was pretty. As the resident hippie in this group, I would like to say <laughs> that feels very off brand. <laughs> Your chakras were feeling pretty clogged from what I could see. <laughs> yeah. The behind the knee one. That's the one that was like really. Yeah. Yeah. It was the, the middle finger chakra was, was clogged <laughs> up. <laughs> the deep knuckle, the deep knuckle was really the radiating deep, and the negative energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, can you read my chakra? And she's like, stop flicking me off. Um, <laughs> so we're getting into a little bit of a sensitive topic today, just because, I mean, we always do it, but I think it's especially sensitive because we all work in fields where bad mouthing somebody with a lot more power than us, even if they're acting like shit, um, could have like really bad repercussions for us personally. Like if you're a Karen within the world of art or comedy or music, um, it's sort of like fight. You guys ever played like a video game where you have to fight the big boss at the end. And like the boss has so much more power than you that usually fighting him, like he has a lot more like damage to deal and he can take a lot more damage. And sometimes trying to fight him leads to you dying like 50 times. So you need like a special sword. Anyway, that's how I feel like. You mean like, you mean like in Parcheesi? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Right. It, it's like fighting a, a big boss at the end of a, of a video game. Like you, you're, you don't have as much power. You don't have, you can't take mm-hmm. as much damage and this person can easily just kind of eliminate you. Um, one of those people, I think, is uh, a person who last week it was revealed actually kind of has been using his fame to procure, uh, to be creepy, let's say that, to be creepy to girls who are underage. Um, and that's a comedian named Crystalia. And I don't necessarily want to pretend that he's the only comedian who has used his fame to act creepy toward women, but he's the most recent example of it. And Kieran, I know that, you know, before we started recording today, you told me that you were kind of nervous about getting into this topic. So I don't want to push you to go further than you're comfortable. So let's talk about why you were uncomfortable in the first place. Yeah, I I felt really, you know, it's, you just want to do, you want to do, like, you want to do justice to this topic, because I think that it's like, you know, it's really, I'm a comic, so it's really personal to me. And and like when I go on Twitter, I see uh, a lot of my friends, a lot of my female friends are really hurting and they're really angry and they're really upset. And it's because of, you know, it's a system and a culture. I don't know if you saw Megan Gailey's tweet um, about the, you know, the kind of harassment that she's experienced. And it's like everyone has their versions of those stories. And you know that it's both had an impact on how you've been able to rise in comedy. And when you have an example like this, it's just so clear and so blatant that I think you have these resilient, um, badass, hilarious women who are, you know, in one of those watershed moments where it's like people are listening for a second. And it's just, I think it's like, I, I hear the pain. I hear the pain of why why aren't male comics speaking up about it? Uh, why aren't there, why isn't there enough allyship? And then at the same time, it's like, how do you be fair, uh, to those male comics and, and, and not like, you know, like the easy thing to do is just to be like, yeah, but Christalia, you know what I mean? Like, like that's the easy way to handle it. But I find myself really trying to ask a question. Like I started stand up in LA. I was watching him. 
um, at the improv when I was like starting out and like he would hit the, hit these like waves of laughter. And I remember thinking like how incredibly powerful it was and like a night called comedy juice. And, you know, I know a lot of that crew from the store and stuff. And, and some of those guys are my friends. And I, you know, I called some people last night and I was like, like, why aren't more men speaking up? Like, why aren't more men speaking out? And this was the best, this was the best thing that I heard, like out of, out of, uh, out of the people I spoke to was, um, he goes, he goes, you remember when the whole me too thing happened and Ben Affleck spoke out and I was like, no, I've completely forgotten. I've been busy staring at walls. Um, (laughs) and then, uh, he was like, uh, he was like when Ben Affleck spoke out, um, the first thing that happened was like, you know, some girl was like, uh, not so fast. Who are you to say something like, and something about, I don't remember what happened, but there was some sort of an allegation. And he was like, I think there is such a fear among men that like, if you have not been perfect, like in the last 15 years or the last 12 years, and you say something, it's like easy for the mob to turn on you. And I, I thought that was like, I thought that was really interesting. This idea of like the perfect ally and like, how do we create a sense of like allyship? Cause I don't think anyone's behind a lot of this like systemic behavior, but how do we start to dismantle it together? You know, when I think there's people who are like, yeah, that's bullshit. I don't, I don't want women to feel unsafe in the workplace. Um, mm-hmm. and Kieran is rambling. No, you're not no. rambling. I think, I think the bystander question is such an important one because, okay, here's another example. Um, like when the protests first started after the killing of George Floyd, Leah Michelle spoke up and said that she was anti-racist and a woman who was a black woman that she'd worked with was like, Oh my God, can you please like deal with your own shit? I mean, anytime you stand up for a principle, you do run the risk of exposing any time in the past that you did not live up to that principle. And I think in a lot of time, in a lot of cases, it's really, it's really discouraging to have to reckon with a version of yourself that you've moved past personally, even though it it is the right thing to do if you want to help the person you hurt heal. Does that, does that make sense? Michaela, you're nodding. Yeah. I mean, I think what you're talking about is like universally felt by so many people and um, especially, you know, in, in the whole world of Black Lives Matter, you know, I think there's a a huge, um, somebody put it great to me. They said, I feel like even though I've always considered myself uh, not racist, you know, the whole anti-racist movement, which is something, a word I never truthfully even heard of until the protests of being, of actively being anti-racist. And I, you know, am ashamed to say that, but I'd never heard of it, you know, that I, that you would think just not being racist was, um, due diligence. I mean, that was just the bare minimum. And, um, and I, and a friend said, you know, who's married to a black man and she herself is Latinx. And she was like, I, I, it moved from my head to my heart, you know? And I, and I was like, that's exactly what I feel has happened. You know, this is not, um, something that, we're just like, oh, are we doing this now? Now it's like, no, this is who we are now. Um, that I, that there are relationships that are breaking up, friendships that are ending that would not have ended a month ago over conversations around um, being an ally and being an advocate. And I just really feel you, Karen, because 
I grew up in the boys club of comedy as well. And there are so many gatekeepers who are supportive, kind men. At the time when I was doing it, it was all men who ran all the rooms. And now, thank God, Kieran runs her own room <laughs> and, the, and, and it's a great room. It's like, even the audience is, you know, is like so much savvier and respectful and, and cool. And, uh, I've been to your room. It's, it's an incredible room, you know, um, that you, that you book. And, but at the time it was all men and you had to ingratiate yourself to these guys. And some of them were just really genuinely supportive and wanted to see me thrive and liked my comedy and wanted to put me up. Others were as stagnant in their comedy as they were in their evolution of seeing the world and were telling the same bad jokes, not getting laughs. And the only power they did have was being the gatekeepers of these, of these rooms. And you had to laugh at their jokes and tell them they were awesome and, and belittle yourself in order to get into the room. You know, it sounds like there's a sort of range, like at, best, you have to belittle yourself and laugh at their jokes. And then at worst, Mm -hmm. you're expected to be sexually available to them. Well, yeah. I mean, there was a flirtatious element that I think that I had to sort of, you know, kind of not fully buy into, but um, make them feel really great about themselves. And that by having me, that maybe like, um, yeah, like, maybe there's a chance. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that at some point I, you know, used my femininity in that way. I'm certain of it. Um, not, not to lead anybody on certainly, but just to get by, you know, and now, um, this whole, uh, uh, being a a active bystander is, is such an act of bravery because there still is no, there's no HR comedy, you know, you can't like go to HR and be like, excuse me, this person is using their fame to be a predator. Um, and, and, and so there's nobody to talk to. And if that, if the person who's even being the victim isn't willing to sort of say, you know, yeah, I want to come forward to be on the side watching it, I kind of liken it to like, I have friends who I, you know, you've said like, Hey, if you found out that your, that your brother was a serial killer, would you, would you be surprised? And people are like, you know, I wouldn't actually, <laughs> but you're not going to like blow a whistle and be like, they're a serial killer because they seem like one. If you don't have actual proof that they are, that if you don't see a literal body of evidence under somebody's bed, mm-hmm. you know, and you go, yeah, I could see that they mm-hmm. did it. I mean, and don't you think that like, Alyssa, that sometimes when you see somebody exhibiting a pattern of behavior that could be one thing or another, there's like a little bit of ambiguity and it's not necessarily directed at you. Mm-hmm. You just think that they might be acting like that to a third party, that it's just easier to be like, look, ambiguity. I'm choosing to not dig deep enough to find out conclusively. I wonder if in politics, that is something that you encountered. Um, yes. I mean, I would say, I would say this in my life, uh, going back to, uh, my days as a grocery store checker, uh, my time in politics was probably the most safe, you know, like the most genuinely surrounded by, Uh, people who I believe to be motivated by the best of intentions, right? And for me, a lot of this comes down to part of what it means to become an active bystander is to assume intent, right? And so I think that for me, 
what I have tried to do. And like, again, like to what Michaela was saying before, like we're normally so busy, like so busy, just like running around and everything that's happening because I have been in the same house for three months. I have really had a lot of time to listen to what everybody is saying and read multiple, like just, just try to learn as much as I can because I'm not fucking perfect. And I think that what I realized before is that part of me trying to be not judgmental about other people was actually letting people get away. Like I didn't want to ascribe intent to someone. Like I don't know necessarily how they meant that. And so now I think that, you know, I have some, I have people who have said things in front of me. I'm like, just so you know, this is how I am taking what you're saying. You know, did you, is this your intention? And they're like, oh my God, no. I'm like, then you got to change your words. Like, and so I think that it's not so much calling because I do think that people, most people that we try to interact with are, are think they're trying to be good, right? And because of either how people are raised or experiences they've had or where they grew up, they might say things in a different way than you would think is okay. And so I think I try to have conversations around intention because like I said something not that long ago, my husband was like, did you mean that the way it came out? And I was like, no, I did not. Um, and so I try to be a little bit more thoughtful generally. And like the conversations that we've been having here on hysteria have been good because you can say what you mean and you tell everyone if it comes out funny, like you have to tell me, like, I am open to that. I think that it's, it's, um, you know, I don't want to be defensive if I get feedback. And so, you know, but to the same, to the point sort of that everybody else was talking about, there are definitely people who have been so helpful to me in my career that when people came forward and said, this person was terrible to me, this person abused me, this person sexually assaulted me, it takes you a minute to be like, my experience was my experience and their experience was their experience. It's not that this was a good person, my experience with them was different. It doesn't mean that they couldn't have also, two things can be true. And I think mm -hmm. that that's the, um, that's kind of where we are now is like making room for the idea that two things can be true. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's possible to have a good experience with a bad person. That's, that's the reason predators like right. can work. Like they fool enough people. Well, that's so, I mean, it's so perfectly put, Thank Alyssa. You. It's like, that is that holding, well, holding, holding both that we just want to see everything in a binary that, that they're right. good or bad, or I'm like a good person or a bad person. And, and that if you've ever crossed the line, you are also a bad person and therefore can't speak out to what, you know, you were saying earlier about being afraid to speak out because maybe your side of the street isn't pristine. Uh, a group is not a monolith. Like all women are not a monolith. All black people are not a monolith. Mm -hmm. You know, e everyone in, in, in any, any subset is not going to be exactly the same. So it's like, you know, like I was reading about black allyship and like, I remember reading an article. I think I, I think I told Caroline about this, like, and I think somebody was really trying to be helpful, but they were essentially like, you know, to your black friends, like kind of like send a form letter, don't ask, you know, say you don't have to respond to this. And in a worst case scenario, Venmo somebody $5. And I called up like a good friend of mine and I was like, the f would you want me Venmoing you fucking $5? This is fucking insane. That's ins number one. It's insulting. That is it's so, so little money. Strange. It's so little, like you can't even buy a latte with fucking $5. The first thing. And this and number two, it's like, like what? I don't need your, like, what is this? Do you know what I mean? Like, so but, but to someone else who had written a think piece about it, they were like, yeah, this is the way to go. And I thought, I look at that and it's like the, 
like there are, there are groupies, there are comedy groupies and there are women who are fans who, who do want to sleep with a very famous person. That's a real element that exists, you know? So like, but that doesn't mean that every single woman has exactly the same experience. You know, every 18 year old is not, does not have the same amount of sexual experience. Some people are virgins. Some people are incredibly sexually experienced. Like Kylie Jenner's like 2020, you know what I mean? Like, so we have this massive, massive range of people's personal experiences. Are you laughing at my Kylie reference? That was good. Like, it was very good. Of all the people that Kieran would ever talk about. Um, Once again, Kylie Jenner. <laughs> there's, but everyone's, everyone's coming in. Everyone's coming in with their own kind of like their own experiences. And then that guy is coming in being like, oh, this chick digs me. These women mm -hmm. like me or whatever it is. Like there's all these women it, assuming that just because somebody's your fan, they want to have sex with you. I mean, I think there's some cultural things that can be easy. Like it feels like there should be some no brainer, massive shifts. Like everyone's a person. Try not to be a monster to anyone. Try to remember that, that everyone is a human being who's vulnerable. You know, Alyssa, you said something about how you say, oh, did you mean to say it that way? Because it, that's how it sounded. It's sort of like normalizing, not calling out people because that is, you know, aggressive. Uh, a lot of the time, if if you think of yourself in a work situation where you are in a vulnerable place, like in comedy, where you really don't are not in control of how much, you know, like I said, there's no human resource department that you can turn to. So you really do. I mean, this is a very real complex mm -hmm. thing because you really are in a state of um, when you're starting out, total powerlessness. So you, there is, unfortunately, there is a dance. So what I'm hoping is that, you know, in, in people's attempts at being anti-racist every day, uh, that we normalize the the culture of being like, hey, this is what that mm -hmm. sounded like. And it's not something where somebody has to feel backed in a corner or canceled or any of those things or, you know, oh God, now are you going to say this about me? It's that we get into a culture where we can be brave enough to um, just be people who are just like, hey, I know that was a joke, but just so you know, that that does cross a line. It does really sound really mm -hmm. fucked up. And and that it can be a casual conversation so that people can not feel so immediately defensive and worried that you're on the opposite side of them constantly. You know, does that make any sense? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think like, is that what you mean? Or what do you mean by that is a question that implies that you're on the same side as the person you're asking the question to. Mm -hmm. It gives them a chance to be like, like to, you know, yeah. it's like strike, strike one. Now come up to the plate again and take another. And if swing. they take another swing and go, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is I really love to poach underage, uh, minors, uh, who might fuck me, even though there's a total app for that. I could go to Craigslist or I could go to, um, like, uh, I don't know, what's the name of the other dating apps? Like I could go to those and there's a whole <laughs> room full of people who will just give- Famous dating who, app, Craigslist. Who will just, Raya, and has a whole room that I could just go and get all BJs till I wake up, till I go to bed with people who are consenting to it, who are also young and very attractive, but no. I'm, you know, if they say like, no, but no, I'm going to prey on people that I just, are just innocent nubiles that I can groom to be my sex slave, that, that I can just- rock and drop that'd be great then you know what you're <laughs> dealing with and then you go 
oh, so you're kind of a super creep. And now I, I know, and we've talked about this and you're aware of this and I'm aware of this. And back in the, like, I would keep saying back in the day, like, you know, everybody I'm sure on here is Red Sapiens. And it's like the only reason, you know, <laughs> that, that homo sapiens have existed is because of gossip. I mean, that's how we used to deal with it before, right? Is you would, you would go, oh, avoid this person. They're kind of creepy. Don't you think they're kind of creepy? Yeah, I got kind of a weird vibe too. And then you create this culture where everybody goes, oh, so everybody knew about it and nobody said anything. And it was like, no, we just created this culture where we protected ourselves because we sensed it and we weren't sure, but there was literally nothing we could do about it. Mm-hmm. I think that brings up a really good point. And Michaela, you've mentioned this a little bit. So I'm, I'm just going to kind of like ask everybody. So there is no HR department in comedy. There's no HR department in art or music. And actually, if you work at a place that has a real HR department, it doesn't exist to protect you. It exists to protect the company. The police exists to protect power structures. Like everybody that you could go to to complain in almost every situation is there to protect the powerful. So who, like my, my kind of mental jungle gym has been, you know, okay, so if you complain too much to the wrong, you know, and, and you complain to the wrong people about the wrong things, you're a Karen. Mm-hmm. But what if you're somebody who sees something that is fucked up and doesn't say something? And then third, you know, who do you, talk to that's going to actually protect the vulnerable instead of protecting the powerful. Well, they would be called a a Susan Collins, I think. And, um, they would be, (laughs) and the person (laughs) that you go to protect the unprotected, (laughs) I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. She's, uh, she's, she's, you know, Alyssa and I talked about the impending Supreme court ruling on abortion. That's going to come down either this week or next week. And we were like, well, you know, Susan, I mean, Susan Collins should prepare her frowning chamber because, you know, (laughs) turn down the bed Mm -hmm. in the frowning chamber. She will be frowning for weeks. Um, (laughs) Alyssa, is there, I mean, what is the different, I mean, what is the sweet spot of speaking up? Like, you don't want to speak up too much to the wrong person. <laughs> Alyssa doesn't know. I don't know. I mean, if anybody knew, someone would have made a lot of money, like, writing a book about it or something by now. I think that it's, you know, I think that if we're talking about in, like, professional settings, that the number one best thing any company, organization, whatever can do is have a hotline that is manned by someone who isn't employed by the company, right? For exactly what you're, for the exact reason that you're saying. And also because sometimes people, like you say, it's like meant to, sometimes it's meant to protect the company. It's like, if you have someone who is the number one earner at a fucking hedge fund or something, I don't know. And people come and people and women or, or anybody comes out and says that this person is abusive or whatever, it's hard for the company to be like, well, that's how you make the big money. He's not a delicate flower or whatever. And so I think that for going forward, if I were to give any company or organization or a comedy club, even there should be a hotline and there should be a a separate group of people that, that vet and interview and talk about some of these complaints. Because sometimes I do think that just within the structure uh, that is, exists now, it will be impossible to get a uh, fair arbitration of, of something. And also, I think that there are people who 
we all come from different places, you know, spiritually, geographically, whatever. And some people fucking say dumb shit and they don't mean it and they need to be corrected and they need to be told. But sometimes humiliating people is not going to get the result that anybody wants. You know, it's like sometimes being able to say, someone came to us and uh, we heard that you said whatever it is you said, and here are the reasons why that is not okay. And the person can be like, look, if the person's response is, fuck that shit, I'll say whatever I want. That's not a good apple. That's Mm -hmm. not someone that you want to keep around. But if someone genuinely was like, oh my fucking God, I've heard my mother say that my whole life. It never occurred to me that it was, I think that people need to, that by taking things out of the structures as they exist now, it might give people the chance to become better. You know, and I think that everybody deserves, not everybody, there are some truly terrible people out there, but I think that there are a lot of people who, if corrected, if called out in a way that wasn't humiliating, would want to become better. And so I think that that might be a way to help people become better. That is true. And I love everything you said, and I don't want to throw a wrench into it. And the only thing I will, no, it's not into what you're saying. What unfortunately is also a reality that's happening right now is that people are seeing PC and, and call it and, and talking about like using your words, especially in comedy as total, uh, oppression as total, like, um, now, I, now I can't make jokes. Now I can't do any of these things. And, and I have male comics that unfortunately in the last even months that have become sort of estranged because they are feeling so defensive and fragile about the, uh, crumbling patriarchy that they are, are retreating into like this Joe Rogan camp of, of going full tilt the other way. And so there's not even that nuanced room in the middle to really have a conversation with some people anymore because it's now become so like, it's become so, um, intrinsically connected to all these ideas of like, well, my brother's a cop. And, you know, it's like all of a sudden it's about 50 million other social issues. And you're like, no, just like, I'm just trying to tell you that when you say that you sound like a racist dick, you know, or a sexist (laughs) pig. And, um, and, and, and I would like to think that you're not, but it's like, it doesn't even become about what they said anymore. It becomes like, I'm not allowed to say, you know, any jokes anymore. And Netflix is only doing specials for black men and not white men. And where's it, you know, and it, there's, um, I'm sure Karen, you could, I'm sure you could really speak more to this than I can, but it is very strange that there is this division that is starting to crater between people who I've been friends with for, you know, 20 years. Strange. I mean, Yeah. That, that kind of, I, I definitely feel that one. Cause there've been a couple, I have a couple of friends that like, we had, we haven't even had a falling out. We just like know not to talk to each other anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're just sort of like very slowly drifting apart because we know that every time we speak, somebody's going to say something. But, that makes but it's on my mad. side too, because even two months ago, I probably would have been like, all right, we're going to put this aside and keep playing poker, you know, but now well, back in poker days, but now, <laughs> now I genuinely am like, we have differing values and I don't know how to be your friend. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just, that's all there is to it. And it's, mm-hmm. I don't, I can't believe that like we've gotten to that point. And I know that like doing the work of allyship is to keep working on people and to really keep coming at them. I mean, if you, if you're at an impasse though, you're at an impasse. Mm-hmm. So Kieran, I'm going to let you wrap this discussion up. Um, wax philosophical. Wax <laughs> philosophical. Wax comedic. Um, so how do we, you know, given the fact that we know that haranguing people into being helpful bystanders doesn't work, shaming them into trying to be helpful bystanders doesn't work, like how do we build a world where people feel feel comfortable speaking up to one of their peers, like, you know, white women feeling comfortable speaking up to another white woman who says something fucked up, a man in comedy speaking up to another man in comedy who's doing something fucked up, et cetera, et cetera. And in whatever different world that people are living in, how do we build a world of like helpful bystanders? I think that's a million dollar question. And it's a great one. The, the number one thing I think is that a lot of these issues are coming to light because of the internet um, you know, the, the shootings have been, you know, these killings that have been made public create an outrage. And that's part of what sparks this movement, you know, uh, tweets come out and then that's where the quote unquote justice comes from. And that's a real double-edged sword because, um, it creates this binary just by virtue of you're either with us or against us. And a lot of the gray and a lot of the nuance gets missed in between, you know, and I think we, hopefully as a culture, can you try to remember that, you know, I'm just like, I'm reminded of like a, that number one, everyone is coming from a different perspective. I step into a a comedy club and I see a workplace, but maybe old school men see a bar. Um, They see colleagues and they're like, that girl's cute, you know? So it's like, how can we start to shift that perspective Mm -hmm. and let that be something that people with modeled pasts or people who have made mistakes can come out and say, Hey, I maybe behaved in a way in the, in the past that wasn't the best, but I'm working on it and I'm better now without this fear of, um, everyone feeling this, you know, if I say the wrong thing, everyone's going to jump on me. Right. Um, and I'm just, I always try to, I try to, I'm not always good at this, but my Angela always had this, she had this quote and it's a, it's a great one. She goes, when you look at somebody and you know, you see the worst thing that a human being's ever done in the world, if they've murdered somebody or whatever, it's just remember that you as a human being are capable of that too. Um, and that the same thing goes for the best thing that's, that anyone has ever done. It's like, you are a person and you have the full range of capacity as a human being to do all of the things and stuff. So it's like, if you can start from that place and you can start from a place where you can hear other people talking about their point of view, give them the benefit of the doubt, do what Alyssa said, what do you mean by that? And like actually be able to engage in a conversation. I think hopefully it's like that slow, um, kind of unsexy work of just starting to build those bridges to where we're a little bit more empathetic and compassionate with each other period. And, and I love, and also like not rewarding the going along to get along. Cause that's what mm-hmm. you yes. used to be rewarded if you yeah. were quiet and that we create a culture where um, you're rewarded if you're brave. Yeah. And, and, and also bravery doesn't mean about shaming another person it, that it's just about speaking up and people live sitting in the uncomfortable for a second and it shall pass. 
Yeah. Incentivizing good behavior then. It's like culturally, how can we start to incentivize good behavior? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think like a bowl full of good candy, probably (laughs) on your desk that you give out to people who are behaving well. Um, No, this, I mean, it's obviously a really complicated issue. I'm sure this this isn't the last time we're going to talk about it, but I think I thank you all for being a part of it. We have to take a break though. Um, And when we come back, we're going to do, I feel petty this week. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. And this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. right we're back we've reached the part of the show where we take very petty stances and defend them defend them like they don't deserve to be defended um it's called i feel petty so let's get started this week with kieran i understand you have something you feel deeply petty about i do i remember it was many many months ago that you had mentioned the calm app and how you like sleeping to the stories of the the people on there and so I have a credit card and they were giving away a free membership and you know, I'm nothing if not a hunter of bargains. And so (laughs) I was like, well, I'll sign up for this. I remember Aaron talking about this and I, I signed up for the app and I listened to Matthew McConaughey (gasps) in his story and I thought it was so creepy. I just was so creepy. <laughs> I, I, it was so creepy. His voice was so creepy. I was like, why are you in my room, Matthew? Do you know what I mean? And he just keeps talking and talking. And I was like laughing. And then I was a little bit frightened. And I was like, this is very uncomfortable. Also, he is telling a story. So it's like, am I rude enough to fall asleep during the story? It's like, image the story, listen to the story. And overall, it felt way too... I didn't want him in that space with me. You know, (laughs) I didn't want Matthew McConaughey in my bedroom talking to me through my phone. I was like, you haven't earned this kind of privacy. (laughs) And I personally find this to be a terrible idea, a terrible idea. Stop it, Matthew. And I will never listen to it again. Kieran, (laughs) Kieran, I have to confess something. Oh my God. Oh no. I paid for the Calm app just so I could listen to Matthew McConaughey. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. All right. I mean, if you, the thing is, if you don't have a deep love for him as Jake Brigands in A Time to Kill, it may not feel the same to you, but I felt soothed and cuddled Uh and just warm. I felt warm. I felt warm. Matthew McConaughey ASMR is the strangest thing I've ever heard. I did not even, (laughs) I did not even know it existed until right now. Now you know it exists. I've fallen asleep to it. Um, but it's not the best one, Kieran. You have to listen to the space ones by Alan Sklar, where he just describes the universe. It's great. Falling asleep 
to space related content is the best because in up until the very moment that you lose consciousness, your mind is being blown, mm. but you're still like drifting off into sleep because you're thinking about like, I don't know, gravitational like lensing that happens when a black hole flies in between the earth and something we're looking at. It's super. That is amazing. I, I did outward bound in my thirties, like the old people one. Um, and I, one of the guys on the trip was an astrophysicist and I did fall asleep to him talking, de- describing the Milky way to me. And I was like, I'm so tiny. Good night. um michaela do you want to go next uh sure forgive me if if we've pedified this one before but i'm in such a i'm such a small world right now because i'm in the country and i don't see people i've like i'm harvesting my own tomatoes so basically i'm living off of tomatoes and dandelions but i um (laughs) so there's little to be petty about that is probably um, interesting to anybody, except I will say this, my portal to the world is Zoom. And we are just far, far, far too down the road of this pandemic for people to not know how the fuck to mute themselves or look at grid view. <laughs> like, like, oh, I can only see myself. I'm like, what fucking month are we in? <laughs> Get off speaker view. Like, <laughs> stop it. Like, Oh, you're going to make a smoothie in the background and think that you're not going to annoy the shit out of everybody. Like mute your damn self. And then, you know, I get it. Like I have started talking and people are like, you're muted. Yeah, I get that. I get it. You get one, maybe two of those. After that, (laughs) sort yourself out. This is all you have. And this is all you're going to have for a year. And, you know, it's not cute anymore to be like, I'm a Luddite. No, no, you're not. This is life. And like, we don't have much time left. (laughs) That's great. Super upbeat. Love that one. Um, (laughs) I'll go next. Mine is related to a news story that CNN published a few days ago. Um, A study by Colorado State University found that men who put pictures of themselves with their cats are less likely to get like swiped right on in a dating app. And I just want to say being opposed to cat guys is only a way to hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Agree. Think you can't I think the cat I some of my favorite men, friends, um exes who didn't do anything wrong but we were just a bad match. Like we're cat guys. Cat guys are that guy's general, except really they're good. They're solid. They can take care of something that doesn't give them any love in return, mm-hmm. only gives them contempt. They can, um, I mean, Tanya from crooked mentioned that she thinks she's worried about like cleanliness with a cat litter box. But if a man has a cat, he knows how to like maintain that. I just feel like <laughs> swiping left on a guy because he has a cat is poor form because cat guys are cat guys lick themselves and keep themselves very tidy. Just no, I, I, (laughs) I, um, I couldn't agree more. And I think that falls into such the, I don't know. Are we, are we back talking on these, uh, pettiness? Cause I have something very important to say about this. I think like, this is so in, in, on point of what I've been really wrestling with is we keep talking about like the crumbling patriarchy and, you know, toppling the patriarchy. And I think women also need to come to terms like 
what does that mean? And how do we need to re-assimilate our relationship with men so that we don't keep encouraging the protecting and the stoicism and the, you know, the, the manliness, like you can love those things, but also get over your biases about the, the things that, that we wish men were more of. And then when they show that we reject it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I'm talking from a total heteronormative standpoint, I realize, but I mean, I think if a man is capable of keeping an animal alive and caring for an animal, that's a good sign. Yeah. Like, look, if it's a tarantula and you don't like spiders, then maybe that's not the guy for yeah. you. But having something that you take care of is a good sign. It's a sign of maturity and selflessness. And I think discounting somebody for liking cats or, I mean, even dogs or whatever is dumb. I think it's dumb. That's what I'm petty about this week. Erin, you know that I feel very strongly about this. And that if I, when I met my husband, who was not my husband, obviously at the time, mm -hmm. he, uh, he was, he was Harry Reid's, he was the Senate majority leader's chief of staff. Everyone was like, Crone is such a ball buster. He's so tough. You know, when I said we were going to go out on a date and I never told anyone till well after the fact that I knew we were going to be together forever when I was getting ready to go on like a 10 day trip with the president. And David was like, well, what happens to Shrummy when you go away? And I was like, oh, he's got this pet, a fur pals, comes and takes care of him. He's like, unacceptable. Shrum will stay with me. So not only did Shrum stay with him, but he wrote me letters from Shrum every oh. morning. Dear mom, Uncle David was a really good sport last night when I wanted treats at 3 a.m. And I was like, don't give him <laughs> treats at 3 a.m. He's going to think that's standard practice now. But like <laughs> he would not have been that person if he did not have that love for Shrum. We may never have ended up together. <laughs> I wish he still wrote letters from the cat like, why is Uncle David still here? <laughs> like wondering Uncle David every... <laughs> wishes the sink were cleaner. <laughs> wondering like every day of quarantine and by the end, Alyssa's like, I actually realized that was a huge mistake. Uh, the cat letters are now a massive red flag <laughs> when you are in isolation with a person. <laughs> One day you come home and your husband is is kind is like on the floor batting around a, a piece of yarn and you're like, What are you doing? Things David, have gone to a goes, different place. David's, <laughs> David's not here. This is shrummy. <laughs> so <laughs> keep swiping right, ladies. All right, Alyssa, what is your oh, mine is thing so, to feel petty about? Mine is so played out, but it's just I have to be honest about what I'm feeling petty about. And that is Donald Trump's empty rally. Now, I feel petty about it for a very specific reason, because the thing I did in politics, like when I got started working in politics was I was in charge of the rallies. Like that's, that was my job. And there was such a science, especially once we got to 2008, 2007, 2008, such a science that we developed to online RSVPs and how seriously we took it. And if you use that information, you can actually figure out how much, how like, how supported you are in certain areas. And the thing about it is, is that you never wish not to your worst enemy. You never wish a bad crowd on anybody because it can always happen to you. You never know. And so there were a lot of us who, who on were watching the rally and we were like, honestly, fuck that guy. I don't care. Like we've worked so hard. We would never, like when we were running against Hillary, we didn't wish bad crowds on Hillary. I didn't wish them on John McCain. Like just, it's just, you don't, it's like a code and you don't do that. But when he 
as Bob Shrum, my cat's namesake, said, when Donald Trump turned Tulsa blue because all the seats were blue that were empty, <laughs> I just laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And I just, fuck that guy. That's what I feel petty about. It's not cool, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I feel like everybody should add that photo of the lonely MAGA guy in the empty upper deck segment holding a sign that says, keep America great and wearing like a red hat, but there's nobody sitting anywhere near him. Also Put that on your, on your vision board, that's a vision thing, board. Ad. And the thing about that is for people who don't know that not only is there a science to building your crowd, when they don't show up, there's a science to fixing the don't menu. Don't tell them. Don't the tell them. Oh, it doesn't matter. They don't even care. Like you never let the lone guy be there. You fill up the head on shot and the cut shot and that's what you do. And they were just like fucking asleep at the wheel and it felt great. I can, I can respect that. Well, you know, they ran, they ran this, they're handling this pandemic so well. It's really a shock that they didn't get the rally you know, sorted out. <laughs> I know. Oh man. Yeah. They're going viral in all the wrong ways and none of the right ways. <laughs> Literally. And look, I truly don't feel bad for them. I think, you know, whatever. Keep America great, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we say through our masks. Uh, okay. <laughs> Guys, that's all the time we have on this edition of I Feel Petty. Michaela, Kieran, and Alyssa, thank you for coming by and hanging out with me today. And thank you to Senator Tammy Baldwin for speaking with us about the importance of continuing the fight for equality. And thank you to you for listening. There will be more hysteria next week. Hysteria is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support and to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadina Melkonian for filming and editing our video content every week. If you want to get naughty, me up, sips of a hot toddy. You want to get knocked out, you'll be sorry. You want to go and cry out to mommy. Do my one-two-step with the bass drum. I'm in the coconut, make me go. Straight from the bottle, I slurp this rum I'ma get, get me some